Luck on Sunday, proudly sponsored by Albasti Ecruel Dubai. Welcome to the Luck on Sunday podcast, a weekly audio digest of all the best bits of Luck on Sunday, free to air every Sunday from nine o'clock that brings you the best guests and insight from around the racing world. Nicky Henderson, good morning. Nick, good morning, Jim. And that was appropriate that we saw Buzz at the end there because he, he looked at the star at Ascot yesterday. How is he this morning? He's good, apparently. I mean, I'm afraid he, he, um, he was having a lie when I left. Uh, um, well but I have, he has been out since. And uh, no good because he sometimes he can be a little bit creaky. Um, but, and, you know, that ground would have been verging on quick enough for him. He wouldn't want it any quicker. Um, but apparently he's perfectly all right. He trotted up really well. So is he now a fully paid-up member of the top team at Seven Barrows? If you were seating them at the top table, is he up there now with the... Well, he's come a long way from the beginning Kane. of last season when he, he really hadn't achieved very much. I mean, he'd won a maiden at Taunton rather scrappily. And nothing looked if it was going to... didn't look as if he was going to break the headlines. But he, he, he just progressed enormously, with, especially in soft ground, which he loves. Uh, and he went to Ascot a couple of times and ran some very good races and then finished up with, um, when he was second in in the grade one at Aintree when we upped him in trip mm. to two and a half. That sort of led to what we're doing now. Um, we had what I actually thought was a um, pretty scatterbrain idea that the Cesarowicz suddenly popped its head up. In fact, I mean, well done, Jess and James Stafford, because... It was their idea. He was still in the field and on the 12th of July he came in. So it was a bit of a rush preparation to get him to Newmarket. Um, but I thought it was pretty scatterbrain, I must admit. But, you know, he's, he's just come a long way now. And yesterday I just thought he was very professional. Um, and, yeah, you know, I, th I think we've got to go up in trip. The way he saw out the, the finish of the Cesarewish, and we're looking at it here, he doesn't look like a horse who's going to stop anytime soon. You, you've got to be fit and stamina laden to win a race like this. He must have been, yes, you've got to be fit. And that was the, the worry that we hadn't had him in that long. So um, he's done very well. We had to be quite hard on him to get him there. I bet. Um, and he had a, you know, it was a nice break until yesterday. So. Um, you know, now you've got a month till the long walk. And the good thing about him is he loves soft ground, so you haven't got to worry on that side of it if it comes up, if it ever rains again, because, you know, at the moment, it's driving us all mad. Now, now this, is, this is quite interesting, because normally, if there's one complaint that comes out of Seven Barrows, is that it's too wet, because your <laughs> horses normally fly on this good ground. Well, I mean, <laughs> they're doing all right. I mean, we had a good weekend all round, but... Um, you know, at least with him, you know that if it is yeah. going to come up wet, you're, it isn't going to be an issue. But is it an issue now for, for all trainers, all joking apart? 
is it becoming a, a problem it now? is you having I to mean, hold a few back we've we've had to you know i walked around ascot on on friday and they've done a great job i mean i did have to take one novice herder out which was a pity because i very much like to have run him but he's he can hopefully go to newbury on friday um newbury we galloped there on tuesday and i mean he had a beautiful strip of ground so i'm hoping newbury will be safe for everybody and then we can really get stuck in now the other novice hurdler you did want to run at, at ascot didn't didn't actually jump off casco or the other chase, novice yes. chaser sorry yeah. Yeah. yeah well i mean that was a surprise to everybody because that is not in his vocabulary i mean i think we know the horses that might not jump off that it can be tricky at the start and you know from them at home um but it, it's totally and utterly not in Cascova's vocabulary. Nature, yeah. Um, I think probably I very nearly went to run him at Ludlow tomorrow. I don't. He won't do that again. Because I think to be fair, we've probably just said we've always run him in earplugs, and I think they probably just want to come out. But it opened up this debate, didn't it? And I saw your your interview with with Matt. I was I was away, but I saw it on mm. the. Uh, on my phone about whether or not the horse should have been declared a runner or not and whether punters should have had their money money back I just cannot understand my only I'm in a very simple way of looking at it is I mean if the horse I know he's under starters orders as such and that I think constitutes that you are a runner or something like that but for me if the horse hasn't crossed the starting line how could it possibly have started it hasn't started I mean, it's a big question. It's it a, is it's a big a debate question. That's, that's gone it's not back one for me to answer or solve, I can assure you. I mean, I think my take on it is that if the horse has been you know, taken away miles from the tape and there's absolutely no, no question of the horse coming into line, mm. then the starter's got to say, right, that hasn't come under starter's orders. It was never a possibility. Mm. But if the horse is actually there lining up, the tape goes back and he just plants himself. I kind of think that he has to have been deemed to have come under starter's orders. What well, was bad luck there? The second time they came in, mm. he was going to go, and the tape jammed. So it was their uh, malfunction. And he yours. was he was going. Yeah. There was no question. Then the then the third time he got fed up with it and decided not to. Um, and he just stood still. I mean, nothing. Nick. The only way he could get him back was to go the reverse way around yeah. and back up the hill. <laughs> the wrong way round. Well, something we might talk about a little bit um, a little bit later in the program yeah. when when Dave Yates joins with talking points. What did you make of Aplutar yesterday? Did he strike fear into your heart? Yes, um, but I'm delighted to hear he's not coming to the King George anyway. Um, I think he was saying there he probably prefers going left-handed, um, which is great. But I thought he was awesome. I mean, how in the world can a horse be taking? She, I mean, she took a pull three out. She took a pull two out. Amazing. Um, he was just in a completely different league. And that does frighten you. And, you know, we're going to go back to the English-Irish sort of debate. It's already starting again, isn't it? They're, um, they've, they've come straight over here and, 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 and beating our best standing on its head. Yes, and when you I, see that the, the amount of entries that are still in the Ladbrokes at, at Newbury next weekend... Mm. Well, I'm sure they're going to come in there as well. Yes, I mean, there's going to be a. It's it's going to happen all the way through because I think those, you know, the the big three yards there certainly have got so many numbers of good horses. They're going to have to come to England, um, and I mean we're going to come to the Tingle Creek in a fortnight's time, and 
I think it's a strong division, the two-milers, but I think Willie's bound to come with something, only because there won't be all the races for them all in Ireland. I wish there were. <laughs> yeah, but we don't, because we want Shishkin, well, you, you to, want to, see we want to see Shishkin taking on some proper horses. Well, you do, but I mean, just to, like I've always said to start with, if you can just get one run under their belt without having a complete um, dust-up, it, it does help. <laughs> but I this mean, is a grade one. You could have run him last <laughs> week if you wanted to do that. Well, I know. But, um, no, I mean, we're going to have to take them on, and we're going to have to fight it every weekend. And from now until the end of the season. Okay, this conversation would have been borderline inconceivable, maybe even five or six years ago, even though Willie Mullins was dominant and Gordon Elliott was strong then. The sort of conversation we're having now, the idea that a stable like yours could be actually on the back foot in terms of good horses, is, is pretty extraordinary. We've got some very good horses, some lovely horses, and they are as, as, as good as... As, as probably a batch as we've ever had. But they are, um, you know, we've got some, it's going to be very difficult wherever you go. Um, we're going to get attacked from all sides. And you say, what we saw yesterday was an object lesson in what's going to happen or could easily happen the rest of the season. We're going to have to sharpen our pencils quite a lot. OK, so the obvious question is why? How has it developed this way whereby if you're a British-based trainer, even you are going into the festival as a sort of underdog? How has that happened? <laughs> I think it's been a big... The sourcing of horses and where they come from um, has changed dramatically over the last five or six years. I think, you know, we would all remember when it was rather embarrassing that, it, that everything was French-bred four, five, six, seven years ago. Now, everybody could go to France, anybody can have a look at them, and you buy whatever you can lay your hands on. Um... It's extraordinary. That French, there's still quite a lot of French horses coming into the system. But where it has, it, it's, it's now all about the Irish point pointers Nearly all these horses have come out of that field. Um, and it is Irish point points they, they are well prepared for that. Um, they've had schooling bumpers, point to point schooling days. Um, they have just probably got the advantage in that they know more about them than we do when they run. Mm. And so everybody's already, you know, they've, they've earmarked them. The filtration process is very efficient now, isn't it? So the identification of who are going to be the absolute superstars is taking place amongst some extremely well-informed people quite early on. Before we get... I mean, the only time we're going to get them to see them if they come to the... We, we had a Tattersall's had a sale at Cheltenham last week. There were some lovely horses in there. I mean, there was one... There was one point to point where the, the first, second and third all turned up at the sale. <laughs> all three made 300,000 plus. Now, is there a bit of you that thinks this is bonkers? I think it is. I'm lucky enough to, to be in some situations where we do... Know, get some high-priced, lovely horses. Um, but there is also a, a very big... You know, there's, quite a, there's been a, quite a little exodus of English owners going to Ireland as well, mm. um, which is sort of... Um, I don't say it's frustrating. They're entitled to go wherever they like. And I don't know... Th th there might be more prize money out there, but, of course, they're racing. Win a maiden hurdle over there, to be fair... They haven't got. We've got a, a lot more opportunities 
for horses, although we don't seem to have so many opportunities for sort of different classifications of horses. I mean, we just have a handicap or a novice hurdle. I like the Irish programme book. It has much more imagination about it. Welcome back. I hope you enjoyed that chat with six-time champion trainer Nicky Henderson. I'm with David Yates, newsboy from the Daily Mirror, to look back at yesterday's racing and much more. Have you had a good week? Did you just shush me? Well, before we came back on air. Do right? you not think I've worked on television before? I know it doesn't <laughs> seem like it sometimes, but I am well, aware. Were, I am aware were, of how it works. You were mid-rant at the time. So I, <laughs> I was, was starting only, a rant. It was the only way of. Um, it was the only way of calming you down. Um, have you had a good week? Yes, very good week. Thank you. Yeah, Any particular been... highlights? Um, well, I, I've done two after-dinner jobs this week at the Jockey Club and the National Horse Racing Museum, which are the, the first two and I suspect the last two uh, of my, uh, my time. But uh, they were both good fun. Got to go in some nice uh, swanky London clubs, a couple, the, the Garrick uh, Club and the Carlton. Mm -hmm. So, um, yes, all good, thank you very much. And yesterday at Haydock was something to behold, wasn't it? Really, what a, it was a really good day's racing excellent crowd real vibrancy to the place uh, it, I think it was picked up on racing TV afterwards there were elements of the crowd who I, th who I think were from Ireland who were giving it loads as the connections were in the um, the unsaddling enclosure or the, the presentation podium afterwards it was excellent really good stuff Appletar was just scintillating in the Betfair chase uh, no more or less to it than that as Nicky Henderson said Rachel Blackmore taking a pull three out and two out uh, you know where he is there, the blue cap in third place on the inside. Royal Pagai ran a mighty race on his seasonal debut for Ritrici and Venetia Williams. Uh, Bristol de May has, has given what he's got, and this horse, Aplutar, just too young, too good. Look at that. That was the real moment, wasn't it, where um, you just thought this, this horse is going to absolutely thunder home. As you say, it's, it was a very good run from Royal Pagai. They'll be really pleased with that, particularly as the drying ground at Haydock, I think, would be faster than ideal but look at this horse he just this is he, he's not the widest margin winner of this race <laughs> is he because that honor is held by yeah. Bristol de May there but this is it, it's Rachel Blackmore said afterwards that she had rarely enjoyed riding in a, a race of that importance as much as she enjoyed that race and you can see why can't you because the horse jumped so well there was that point where she took a pull and thought well anyone watching the race thought well Aplutar is going to win very easily indeed which he did uh, anybody who has watched any of the programs that we've done over the last three or four years knows that I'm completely obsessed with this horse and have been for for quite some time uh, nothing's going to sway me from my opinion that he he will win the, the Gold Cup this season. Mind you, I thought exactly the same last year and he found his stable companion, Manella, Manella Indo, too good. Do you agree with me, though, Dave, that this was a performance that, that made him look a better horse? He yeah, looked did, a better yeah. horse yesterday than I thought at any stage last season. And even last season, I thought he was going to win the Gold Cup. Yes, I did as well. Um, yeah, I do. Uh, on, the, on the figures, I would have thought this... I've not seen if, if um, you know, the... Uh, the time was very good too. Yeah, it it was a, there was it had everything, didn't it? It had style and substance, and you know, uh, I agree with you. I, I thought, I thought last year that Aplutar would win the Gold Cup, and you know, he was only beaten a length and a, a mm. length and a quarter, wasn't he? So 
the, the other point I, I thought about, far wrong. about yesterday was that he had he had some real zest and verve to his jumping. And whilst he jumped efficiently last year, yesterday I thought there was economy and precision and fluency and speed at his fences. Yeah, and I, just I, in the cold cup, I felt he was just losing a tiny bit to Manella Rindo at each of the fences. The, I mean, jumping fences and hurdles is such an art, isn't it? That it, It's no use being too exuberant because you might waste time in the air. Obviously, you, you, know, you don't want to be too low. It, there is a... There is a perfect way of doing it, and yesterday it mm. seemed as though Aplutar had discovered that. He's seven years old, though, isn't he? So we would expect, watching the, the way that steeplechasers progress through their careers, yeah. and especially the, the way that they're, ca- they're perhaps campaigned maybe a, a year earlier than they were, say, 30 or 40 years ago, or they, they come to it younger, um, it, one would expect that having finished second in a Gold Cup at seven, a Cheltenham Gold Cup at seven, that we would expect more improvement to come from him, wouldn't we? And so we saw that yesterday. And I think, you know, again, talking to Rachel Blackmore afterwards to say, do you think there's going to be more? And she said, she hoped there would be. Well, let's see what she had to say at Haydock. And after that, we'll be hearing from Henry de Bromhead. That today looked very easy. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was fantastic. It's it's not often you get to get to ride a, a Grade One winner in that kind of fashion. But uh, he's an extremely classy horse, and uh, yeah, very. Um, a very it was a very enjoyable race to ride, I have to say. Going out there, you knew Bristol Mile would bring you along, and it just looked the whole way around. And everything was so straightforward. Yeah. Um, he, he maybe didn't jump as well as he can Bristol mm. in, in front of me um, at times, but. Look, he's he's a fantastic horse as well, and I knew he wouldn't be easy an easy one to beat around here. Um, but you know, everyone at home is very happy coming over with Appletar. He was he was ready for today, and you know, he he, he proved, uh, yeah, he done it really well. That jump four from home. I don't know if you had a chance to, to see it yet. It just looked like you just joined in. Yeah, look, he's you know he's he's got gears. He stays. He jumps really well. Um, he's got a very nice style of running. You know he. He he cruises along there without, <coughs> excuse me, without, you know, doing too much anywhere. And uh, yeah, it was a very good performance. Even before the, the paddock, the pack paddock, he's a very unassuming, quiet horse walking around the paddock. He, he looks like he, whatever sort of ability he has, he gives himself every chance to to, to bring it out. Yeah, he was um, he was a little bit more on his toes today actually. But uh, look, Henry's horses are in fantastic form, and uh, yeah, it's great to be part of that team. Yeah, he was brilliant. Rachel was brilliant and fantastic to win it, yeah. Um, what, what was the, the thought of starting him off over here, obviously? Last couple of years you, you went a little bit quieter? Yeah, we we, pro- we went back to two miles always mm. in the Fortria and having got beaten twice in that, we said, well, we better look for another option. In fairness, I think it was Chris Richardson had mentioned this race and, and look, it's fantastic. The Thompsons are over here and it's great to have Richard and, and uh, Louis and... and um, Arthur and oh, just the, the lot of them. The, the lot of them here, anyway. It's great to have them all here, and uh, um, yeah. So we look, we're delighted. And obviously, after this here, the obvious stepping point would be back to the Savile's chase at Leperstone. Yeah, I think so. Like as we say, he has this uh, preference for left-handed tracks. He seems a far superior horse on yeah. a left-handed track, and 
Yeah, so it seems, seems the sensible way to go. And no matter, you know how good a horse he is, but it's nice after summer's grass to see that they've they've trained on there as good as they, they were. Yeah, absolutely. Like, he's only a seven-year-old. He's yeah. achieved a hell of a lot for, for a horse of his age, you know, and... Um, yeah, it's great to see him back like that. He'd been working really well. Everyone was delighted with him at home. And, um, you know, we, yeah, it's, like I say, it's great to be here and great to win it. He got a Cheltenham-like reception here, didn't he? Oh, it was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. there's a great crowd here. Yeah. And, you know, we always get such a warm welcome here. And, yeah, as I said earlier on, after the 10th person telling me no Irish horse had ever won the race before, I started to wonder why we'd come over at all. But, look, it's fantastic and delighted for Cheveley and the Thompsons. Yeah. And, yeah, you know, very lucky to have him. It's been a good day for you, Bob Oldinger. Looked very good. Yeah, he looked good. I, I just saw it in the betting office there earlier on. Yeah, happy that he got round and, and uh, jumped well and seemed to win nicely. Uh, haven't really analysed it yet, but uh, everyone seemed happy at home. Horrible questions, but any thoughts where he might be seen next? If everything uh, is okay. Not really, no. We, we'll see. There's there's a nice race at Limerick at Christmas, uh, mm. but we'll see. We'll, we'll we'll enjoy today and and see after that. Good day for Henry de Bromhead. His two stars, the either side of Brave Man's game there. Bob Ollinger on the right was the horse to whom he referred with Niall in the uh, latter part of that interview. And this was Bob Ollinger uh, making a, a winning chasing debut at Goran Park. Uh, and, uh, drawing comparable superlatives from Darrow O'Keefe as the ones that Rachel Blackmore was lavishing on Aplutar. This was very, very good, Dave. Uh, Bacardi's is not exactly a mug, the horse that he was brushing away. No, he's not. And this is... There's a peck there, isn't there? And I think the jockey said afterwards that, yes, on the odd occasion, Bob Ollinger was a tad low, but this was pretty impressive. I, I, I think it's hard to have a really firm grip with Bacardi's, Nick. I know that he, he's clearly no mug. He's a grade one winning uh, horse. He, he's also, I think, naught from five over fences, but... Yeah, Bob Ollinger comes to win this by, what, six and a half lengths in the end. And he was the dominant force in two and a half mile novices hurdles last year. And, you know, you couldn't have wished for any more than that, could you, first time? And one of the horses that he defeated last year at the Cheltenham Festival was Brave Man's Game. Brave Man's Game looks a completely different ball game over fences. He's got great scope and power. It's just a question of whether when push comes to shove and he, as he goes into, into the heat of battle against the big Irish horses, whether he's, whether he's got a, a, as big an engine as them. Yeah, it is. Um, looks it, though. Again, in second, we've got a grade one winner in Itchy Feet, who I think is naught from eight subsequently. And... He won the Silly Isles Novices Chase at Sandown at the start of last year. But Brave Man's game, I, I, I was really taken with him. I thought he jumped really well. That, that sort of talking about um, Aputar and that halfway house between economy and exuberance, I thought that this horse had it as well. I thought that it, it, there was the odd occasion when he had to put himself right, arguably at, at the second last fence there. He doesn't come off the bridle. The, the interesting thing, I think, with this race is that this is almost like watching um, a chasing debut of uh, a nascent star over fences where they run them against inferior horses they start a short price they bob round and everything is mm. uh, done to everyone's satisfaction because they don't come off the bridle but that's against inferior horses yeah. and it, you know whether he's naught from eight subsequently or not itchy, itchy feet, feet and he is... second in the old roan exactly with midnight shadow the paddy power gold cup winner yeah. one place behind him so 
visually it was like watching them just yeah. doddle around that for you know like well the, the horses are massively inferior to the winner but in this case he's not come off the bridle and the horse in second is a is a very high achiever. As indeed was the horse who finished second to him at Newton Abbott, Fusil Raffles. Yes, is a, I mean, right. he's not an absolute top yeah. notcher, but he's a, he's a very high achiever, as you say, a horse with sort of, you know, 150s at least ability. So he's brushing them aside dismissively. It's just a question of whether he can get closer or match Bob Ollinger come March and April. Yeah, it is. Early signs, I, I think he'll narrow the gap. Yeah, I think he, he looks very good. Yeah. I and, think he'll narrow the gap. And the trainer clearly thinks he's absolutely out of the out of the top draw. That was Brave Man's game. Which one would you rather own of the two? I could give you either now. You'd take either of those horses out. Um, I think probably Brave Man's game, I think. But let's cross that bridge when we get to it. Eh? Well, if it leaves me with Bob Ollinger, I'm, I'm good with that. Let's take a look at the... Big handicap hurdle yesterday that was won by Don Levant, and it was a marquee success not only for trainer Evan Williams but also for his daughter Isabel, who rode Don Levant. Don Levant is in the pink and purple silks with about three behind him now in a race that only really started to unravel later on. Yes, it did. Um, well, th this is as much a, a human interest story as a horsey story, this, isn't it? The fact that Isabel is the trainer's daughter and obviously say obviously this is the the biggest success of her riding career but it was yesterday at Haydock had everything in terms of yes we had uh, a grade one winner in Aputar but on the supporting card a, a race like this such an emotional victory um, for Evan Williams and, and his daughter. It, it really was fantastic. This. I know we're going to hear from the, uh, the, the trainer in a moment, but the interviews that he gave yesterday showed just quite how much this meant to him. And Re happily, he's going to give another one now because he's on the line. Uh, Evan, good morning. Uh, morning, lads. Uh, you've had some great days. Is that one right up there at the top of the pile? No, I had dust in my eyes, Nick. It was very dry there. It was a dust. It was dusty, <laughs> and it's it just a dust blown into my eyes. <laughs> um, I was just reading this morning that not only was it a you know, a fabulous triumph for for Izzy in the saddle, but also out of it because it was her call to run the horse in the first place. Look, lads, you know um, we're very much a family-run operation, and and you know the children have a massive in you know, input into what goes on. And we, you know, we, we've been tipping away with that little horse and he's been running very, very well in, in good, deep handicaps. Um, and we just, you know, we weren't getting into the winner's enclosure and, and she suggested that perhaps a, a good step up in trip would suit and, and to have a crack at that race. So, um, you know, we, we do put all the pieces of the jigsaw together and sometimes it comes out the right end. But, you know, it's, in a family-run stable, everybody has to have their little their little say. And tell me a little bit about what what you were feeling through the last three four hundred yards of that race yesterday. Is he still there? He's still there, Evan. I think we might have lost him. Ah, I think we've lost him. We will try and uh, try and get Evan back, but I. I think I probably have a fair idea of what he might have said to, 
to that question. Yeah, I, I think I have a fair idea too. And it, it wasn't to do with dust in his eye at the arid haydock, was it? Um, yeah, this is, uh, as I said, the, the, uh, the mixture yesterday at Haydock of human interest stuff like this, it was a, it was a, a complete day's racing. But the fact, as you say, that uh, the jockey's input in uh, Don Levant's participation here, and yet... Exactly. I think we've got Evan back. Uh, Evan, sorry, I, we just lost you there for a sec. I was just, I was just sort of saying, just try and tell me what was, what was going through your head those last two, two three hundred yards and the, uh, the significance of it for you. Well, really, it was just, you know, the horse needed riding a bit cold. And as I said, she gets on grand with it. And it was, well, I suppose, just, just a, a, a great moment, really, just to see a, a little plan come, come to fruition. So it was, uh, it was a brilliant day. Absolutely brilliant. You ask a, a lot of parents of children who follow in their st footsteps and ride in races th this question, but was there ever any, ever any question that, that Izzy wouldn't be riding in races? Well, I don't. I mean, she, she, you know, like all the kids, they they do their own thing. They do their own thing in school, and um, we were just um, lucky that she came home. She didn't go to university or anything. Her sister went to university and done that thing, and. Um, we didn't put any pressure on them. It's just the way it develops, you know, and um, you try and help them as much as you can. And But you also try to be very professional. I mean, you can't, unless they do the work and unless they deserve their opportunities, you, you can't just be putting them on horses for the sake of it, can you? You can't, and especially not, you know, on high-profile days, big races like that. How does she wear the, the, the pressure of that? Pretty well, by the looks of it. Well, I hope we're professional, Nick. I hope... You know, we deal with everything in a professional manner, and I hope that she deals with everything as a professional should, because she's a professional jockey. And um, you know, you've got to put those those family sort of um, emotions to one side, don't you? And deal with things on a very um, level playing field. And I mean, to be fair, I'd be disappointed if she didn't deal with things like that, and I'd be disappointed with us as a yard if we didn't deal with things like that. But you in the in the immediate aftermath of the race, you 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 had to sort of be lost in the moment a little bit. You could you had to suspend your your ice cool professionalism just for a few minutes. I let the side down, I'm afraid, Nick. You didn't at all. I, I did. I let the side down, and unfortunately, now there was a good few boys there that um, were ribbing me about. You know, I've, I've blown my cover now. I'm a complete softy now, I'm afraid, Nick. I've I've completely blown my cover. I'm afraid. Well, I don't want to tell you. You blew your cover years ago. <laughs> I, know I know that. But I'm afraid that's what... Um, hey, look, I mean, you, can't, you, you can be professional and you can try and be cool, but I'm afraid at the, at the end of the day, um, I mean, you love and affection for your children. If you haven't got that, then it's a bad old job, isn't it? And that is where I will leave it. Evan Williams, congratulations. Thanks, lad. Thank you. Um, he, he nearly pulled that off for, for, for two thirds of the interview, Dave, but couldn't quite. No, no, it, it's, it was a, it, it was brilliant that yesterday. I mean, it was really. Uh, you're right that the, I don't think any of us buy the idea that Evan Williams uh, is a hard man. Is, is a marble-hearted man for whom these things do not make a. Well, he's had. He, I'm just thinking of, think of some of the horses he's had down the years that have become quite sort of very pop, like popular, like State of Play and. Um, what was the ex under Chesa Kappa Blur? Uh, they ran in a million Grand Nationals, yeah. and then, um, oh, the 
uh, Silver Streak recently, you know, horses that you know you know he's very fond of when you talk to him. Yeah, you know, he has absolutely. a yeah, great warmth for his horses. Uh, he's it, Evan did uh, um, a column in the Mirror for certainly one winter, maybe two, and his his enthusiasm, his. Uh, his passion for all things outside racing he used to ha be a we used to have a little sidebar about his views about the Welsh rugby team and, so, and it was a it, we have we have had loads of columnists over the years that I've dealt with some <laughs> would, you would give one out of ten in terms of enthusiasm <laughs> others you would give much more like ten and I can tell you that Evan is much much uh, towards the top of the scale who was the worst next question <laughs> Okay, on we go to a horse who made a glorious comeback at Ascot yesterday, lost in translation, who was rather lost in the wilderness last year. But like many of the stables horses, he's come roaring back in a very strongly run uh, Amlin Chase. Um, oh, it wasn't the Amlin. It says 1965 Chase, sponsored by Chanel Farmer yesterday, wasn't it? Apologies, yes. And he came roaring back with a victory over, over Master Tommy Tucker and Joe Tizard's on the line now. Morning, Joe. Morning, Nick. Morning, Dave. Eventually got yeah. the name of the, the race right, but I'd, I had no issues with the name of the horse. Lost in translation. Uh, how satisfying was that to see him back? Uh, very satisfying. Um, you know, he'd been. He, it was a long winter with him last year. It was um, it was hard work. And he just wasn't finishing his races. But he'd been he'd been very good this autumn. Um, you know, schooling. He was standing off outside the wings again, and um, uh, you know, so we were. Not bullish going into it, but we were confident that we had the horse back. What he needed to do was was to go and improve on the race course. Um, and and everyone else, so, so we had a lot of pleasure in, in watching that yesterday. And I, I sort of had to cast my mind back to it was two years ago. He was winning the Betfair Chase on this day. Obviously, yesterday's race was you know, quite a test of speed for a horse like him, just an extended two and a half miles. How do you felt, feel he, he coped with that aspect of it? I, you know, I think he was probably he's probably pretty much flat out all the way. You know, a strong, a strongly run race played to his strengths. But um, you know, he was a, he was a two and a half mile novice chaser, and, and and we were we were quite that when we were making plans at the start of the season, we wanted to to try and find the the, the easiest option and you know, make sure make sure we ran him in 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 the right race and make sure we didn't bottom him on his first run. You know, he had to he had to have a nice experience for his his confidence is as much as I think yesterday. I'm struck by this p partnership with Brendan Powell. Obviously, he was riding a Cheltenham Festival winner for you, ooh, possibly what, nearly a decade ago. But um, this new partnership that you've sort of got going with him again, how important do you think that's going to be to the success of the stable? I think it's huge. It's, um, you know, he, we were trying to give him a winner the second half of the last season. You know, he started coming in, riding out once a fortnight and didn't quite happen. And it just, just so happened at the turn of the turn of the season he rode a double for us at um at Newton Abbott and and it just sort of clicked in. I mean the the lovely thing is 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 available, which is which is a, a big thing for our owners and that, you know, we're just looking for a bit of consistency in the in the on the jockey front and um and that's what we're getting and you know he rides horses lovely and forward and he gets some day jump for him and um you know he just it just I said to him halfway through the summer I said Look, we our owners are loving what they're seeing. Um, we're going to give you plenty of rides. I said, I don't think either of us need to make this statement that that you're going to become stable docker. I said, let's just um, let's just let it happen. And and um, and then obviously this this autumn with the with the bigger races, that's that just cements everything, doesn't it? You know, I, we were really happy with him. The owners are confident to put him on on the best horses, and um, <laughs> and he's and he's winning on them. So it's lovely. 
Um, I I enjoy really enjoyed the interview in the in the Racing Post today. I've just got it up here uh, with with Peter Thomas, and the, <laughs> there are some some wonderful bits and some very poignant moments as well. But the the bit that really made me smile was the fact that when your dad Colin was talking about the handover to you, uh, it's you reveal that he'd just basically gone to Win Canton and <laughs> and. <laughs> He decided to have a bit of fun with a few of the press guys that were there. So he was—was yeah, was he just pulling our plonker all along? Well, it, no, it is because you know it, it's something that's always been talked about, and murmured about. But but that's that's a genuine story. You know, I was back at doing the gallops one afternoon, and and Dad hadn't been racing very much last winter with, you know, with the, with the circumstances, and he, he just didn't need to. So um, so he went to Wincanton, and and it it literally flashed up on my phone. Um. And I was like, what are you doing? He just, he just laughed. He said, oh, they got a marquee at Wincant and they dragged me in it, so I've got to give them something to talk about. <laughs> um, but, but, then, but it also sort of kick-started kick, kick me because I was only being sort of lazy and, and hadn't done my modules and that. So, so through the summer, at least, it kick-started all of that. You know, I've done all the modules. I'm, I'm fully qualified now. we just just got to apply. Um, and then... And then the, the obvious answer we we don't want to go back to naught this time of year because what's the point let's let's leave it till May it makes no difference for our business and um well dad dad's still very much a part of it and loving loving every minute of it anyway but the wily old fox knew exactly what he was doing didn't he he did, like, and then he caught yeah. of the person he told at Exeter when 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 we won the Holden Gold Cup and and, <laughs> and told him that he'd retired him so <laughs> he's still having fun with them. Uh, well, we're having fun with him as well. Joe, thanks so much. Um, best of luck. Where, where, where are we going to see Lost in Translation next? I don't know. He's got, he's got a King George entry, but, um, but we'll make sure we run him on the right ground. So he comes out of it, and if we skip that, then you know, he could just be a, a Denman chase and, and straight to Cheltenham. But we're, we're quite keen to, to have, him, have him fresh and well for the, for the spring campaign. And obviously, Native River couldn't run yesterday because the ground was a bit quick for him up at Haydock. You just keep him ticking. What's the what's the next slot that he could move into? Well, the Many Clouds entry um, is is the obvious next one. You know, he's running it in that race before a couple of times. Um, just just need it to rain. It's 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 the ground's getting there. It's just we felt yesterday was um, just we, we we promised ourselves we'd wait until the ground was was in his yeah. favour. So, so that's all we're doing. And how many in the Ladbrokes Trophy next weekend? A race you do well in. Three, I think. Fiddler on the roof, Copperhead, and Mr. Malarkey. Um, would Fiddler have the best chance? You'd have to. You'd have to say he'd have the best chance on the form and going into it. But um, you know, Copperhead Gallop with lost in translation, and we think we've got him back, um, back somewhere near his best. Well, he would be very interestingly handicapped on that. Have you got riders sorted out for them all? I think well, Brendan will ride Fiddler because because he won up in Carlisle on him, and you know he's joint favourite. And the other two were in the we're just sorting out at the moment. What a terrible life he leads in his his role as the roving reporter for RTV Race Day. Frankie Foster, good to see you. Um, very much it looks like me. you're having fun. I guess that's the whole point of it. It is, yeah. I mean, there were some dodgy dance moves there at the end, but <laughs> besides that, it's been a lot of fun so far. Um, and, I've, and for me, I've been to so many new race courses. Um, and this was the thing I was saying before, is that as a racing fan, now showcasing the race day to people at mm -hmm. home and on social media... A lot of this is also a new experience for myself, which makes it even more exciting. But also showcasing the racing fan and who the racing fan is, as we saw in that clip there.
Could be anybody. <laughs> yeah, of course. And we've we've met all sorts of different people all, all up and down the country. Um, and it is we're we're trying to, as you said, showcase the day out and you know one get people that haven't been racing before into racing. Mm -hmm. And if we can get that across on social media, I I kind of describe it as you know you're a racing fan. I am. Everyone watching this channel probably is as well. And we've all got friends that maybe haven't been racing, and I bang on to all of them all the time. You've got to come racing. I'm always the one that's going to organise a day at the races. And it's kind of like doing that now to social media. So there's people on social media that haven't been racing, and I'm now that mate showing them what racing is all about and trying to get them into the sport. And, and also, as well as that, what I'm finding out as I've done it is, as I said, I, you know, I was born in Cheltenham. Cheltenham was kind of where I found my love for racing. But I'm now exploring more than just a day out and, and being a punter. I'm now talking to trainers and jockeys and going behind the scenes and finding out more about the stable stuff. So... I'm also taking people that probably like myself who are a racing fan mm -hmm. a bit deeper into the sport, which I think is making me fall in love with the sport even more as well. Have you been surprised by the access that you've had? Yeah, it's been brilliant. <laughs> it's been brilliant. Uh, Nicky said, didn't he, before he, I was watching, he said, if you can call it a job. And it's like that for me. Every Saturday I go and uh, I'm behind the scenes. I'm chatting to trainers, jockeys. It is, it's a day out for me as, <laughs> as well as a job. So I'm loving every second of it. It's quite an interesting team. Um, yeah. you guys have put together as well. Now, I, I cannot mention Race Day RTV without, <laughs> without, without mentioning Terry Roots, An honorable the irrepressible Terry. Terry Roots who, <laughs> yeah. who, who puts all this together. Yeah, no, it's brilliant. And it, it's nice, you know, we've got a small team of us. Uh, we head up, obviously, to various race courses each week and we just get stuck in, you know, as you said, we're getting behind-the-scenes access to racing content, but also we are getting in the main stands, we're chatting to race goers, and that's been really fun. Um, and really good just to speak to people that maybe it's their first time racing, maybe they've come for a birthday or a day out, and getting them more involved with the sport as well. And I think it's been good for them to come to a race day and maybe be interviewed or for me to talk to them a bit about why they're there from, you know, and there are somebody, I'm someone who knows a bit more about racing, and I yeah. can then chat to them and bring them into the sport. So it's been really good. And, and everyone's been so friendly. That's a, that's a massive thing. I haven't had one bad day, bad word, bad interview with anyone, which is... Nice for someone like me, a race like yesterday I interviewed Henry de Brometh and as a racing fan that's massive for me. And it you know, everyone including himself has been lovely. Should we have a look at it? Oh right on cue. I think we've got it. <laughs> I'm here with Henry de Bromed and that was an absolute joy to watch. Aplutard, brilliant race there. Yeah, delighted with him. He jumped really well. Rachel was brilliant on him and he seemed to do it really nicely, yeah. It was an exciting race to watch. And your first time winning this race here at Haydock, how did that feel for yourself? Oh, incredible. You know, it's brilliant. Like, it's, a, it's an iconic race and, and uh, feel very lucky to be able to come over and, and, and have a go yeah, and win brilliant. it. brilliant. Awesome horses like this. My favourite thing is watching a horse like this win races throughout the year on the run-up to Cheltenham. Talk us through the plan for this horse going towards Cheltenham. Um, I, we'll be aiming, I'd say, for the Savills Chase in, at Leopardstown at Christmas, which he won last year. And um, and then I'd imagine it'll be straight to Cheltenham, hopefully. All rose to the Gold Cup. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. Brilliant. I'd well, say so. We look forward to seeing that, and congratulations Thank you very much. Thank you very much. And there you are, just before he got a, a selfie, Henry <laughs> yeah. de Robert talking to Frankie. Yes, and that's, I suppose you're, you're sort of pitching what you're trying to get out of him for, for a slightly different audience to, mm -hmm. to how all the press guys after the race would be, would be talking to him. And he's kind of, have you found the professionals relax and interact slightly differently with you? Yeah, that's what's been really nice. And as the more we've done this, 
and I'm bumping into the same trainers and jockeys week after week, it's more of a, you know, I'm chatting to them as a friend and I'm asking maybe yeah. slightly different questions. It's not quite as hard racing content and you get a bit of the character uh, from them. I mean, in fairness, but Sheen Murphy, sort of the time, he's a captive audience, isn't he? <laughs> he is, You're never yeah. going to have too much of a... <laughs> so Michael Stout could be your next challenge. <laughs> well, that would be a challenge. I mean, the, 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 man for the, the man that's been great so far is Fergal. He, oh, he, lo he loves the race day camera. <laughs> he sees the orange mic and he comes over and chats. Um, but no, it is, it's... And I and I and it's do you know what's great for me? I can ask things that I'm curious about as well. And I think and I hope uh, why it works is because I will have similar questions to mm. people like myself. I'm not a racing expert, but I am a racing fan and I have followed it for years. So I still have gaps in my knowledge and things that I want to find out and I can now do that for other people as well. I mean, and you're, you're, you are the straight man in this, in this whole piece because <laughs> Amy Christopher's is most definitely not from um, <laughs> recent, found recent fame again on, on Married at First Sight. Yep. I mean, she's a, she is a great character. <laughs> she is a character. She's, uh, as I said, myself, more of a racing fan. She's someone that's completely new to racing. Um, although she was a bookie um, or worked in a bookmaker's at Cheltenham. That was her first introduction to racing. Um, but no, she's great. Every, I mean, everyone's been great. It's been, a, it's been a lot of fun so far. Okay, so I have to ask, what was it like being in Love Island? <laughs> it, was, it was a long time ago now. Um, it was warmer than Haydock, mm -hmm. that's for sure. Um, and but, probably for you, from what I've read, mercifully brief. Yeah, a couple of weeks. Uh, quick, quick holiday, top up the town and then back <laughs> home. <laughs> it was... I mean, could you have had any indication of how sort of impactful it would be just for a kind of couple of weeks you're Do you know in, what? you're out it's, it sounds naive and I think it sounds naive saying this now because the show's so big now the year I went on was probably the one when it kind of skyrocketed were you pre or post Chris Hughes year you, after Chris you were post yeah, Chris Hughes weren't Chris you, yeah. the other me and Chris were chatting it's funny everybody says um, you know here's Chris Hughes or here's Frankie Fro Foster from Love Island and it's like we're not from Love Island but we did go on Love Island it's like we yeah. were reborn out of Love Island <laughs> I, I suppose it's one of those things you've just got to go yeah, yeah no, the I upside don't, I of this is probably, is probably better than yeah. the downside isn't yeah, it yeah for sure um, but no it sounds naive I genuinely went in there on a bit of a what if um, and a why not um, you know, they asked me, and it was, and I think that's the only reason they put me in there. <laughs> I didn't do a whole lot in there, but I think they were probably fascinated by the fact that I wasn't really that bothered. Mm. Um, but you know, it's given me a platform to work from, which is brilliant. And I think maybe some people in the past have questioned, why have we got Love Islanders in racing? And you know, you've got Chris, you've got myself, I've had a few others do some work in racing. But it's not that we have gone onto a TV show and come off it and decided that this would be a good angle for me. Mm. It's that before we loved our racing, and then now I can just broadcast it to a wider audience. So I still talked about racing all the time, just nobody <laughs> knew who I was. And now it gives me a platform to do that. And you know, I'm, I'm really thankful that people have backed me to do that. Welcome back to the show. We always try to take you to all corners of the world on this program and to talk to some of the leading lights in all the major racing jurisdictions. And to that end, I'm so pleased to welcome to the show Australia's leading trainer. And now, I was going to say at long last, but it's not taken him so long. Melbourne Cup winning trainer uh, Chris Waller joining us from Sydney. Chris, uh, good morning. Good evening to you. Good morning to you and all the viewers. Yeah, it's a privilege to be on your show. And yeah, we've got a little bit to talk about that's been very special to us over the last few weeks. 
You certainly have, because no matter what you do in your highly decorated career, and you've broken just about every record that Australian railing has to offer and trained one of the most celebrated horses of all time in Winks, if you haven't had a Melbourne Cup, you go to the race as a slightly different man or woman to if you have won a Melbourne Cup. Yeah, it sure is um, an iconic race here in Australia. As they say, it stops the nation, but not just here, other parts of the world as well. And as we've seen in recent years with the Dermot World horses, the, the O'Brien horses, and there's so many great horses that actually have come over um, and basically been dominating our race for many years. Um, it's it's opened it up to the rest of the world as an imagination race, the big prize money, the a unique type of race being a two mile handicap and um yeah it's a it's a great thrill to be part of it and to come home with the win was very special you've won it with a, a mayor very elegant who who proved if ever proof was needed that class will transcend the issue of distance she not only won she won very impressively but what i want to know from from you chris was the the journey you took personally in taking the decision to run her in this race because it's a pretty extraordinary one yeah, well, we weren't. We were trying every reason not to run. Basically, she's a nine-time Group One winner, ten times now, and she was Australia's Horse of the Year last year. Um, and she's still not finished yet, so we're always trying to protect her, make sure that she comes back for her next preparation, as we call it, um, and just as good a form. And sometimes the Melbourne Cup can be a really tough race. And, she had 57 kilos to carry, which is a massive weight for a mare uh, over the two-mile journey. So she's only a little girl. She's about 435 kilos, and uh, but a heart the size of a lion. So she certainly showed that thanks to a nice James McDonald ride. I think she drew 19. He popped her into a beautiful position going out of the straight for the first time. And as you can see here, she's just starting to show her genuine weight for age qualities um, and that turn of foot that she had here left the rest of them uh, struggling to keep up so it was a pretty good watch over the last 200 metres although it wasn't that easy at the time watching um, you're always wondering if there's going to be one coming out of the pack but unfortunately well, for our sake it wasn't any Everybody always pays tribute to how cool-headed you are and you can make sort of decisions very rationally and you had to live through that with winks. But did this give you sleepless nights, deciding whether or not to run very elegant? Um, not, not the sleepless nights, but um, I think winks took all those ones away. <laughs> I sleep well still. <laughs> she was different winks, uh, quite unique being unbeaten for so many starts and expected to win and counting down to the final days, of course. But... Uh, with Very Elegant, there was a $2 favourite in the race, um, so incentivised he was expected to win, and I guess that took some of the pressure off us. Um, but yes, the, only, the only concerns I had was how she would um, cope with the weight and how she'd come through the run, but she ticked both boxes with uh, relative ease, and glad to say that she's pulled up safe and sound. She really absolutely bolted up when you look back on it now. It's, it's a massive moment for you, a massive moment for James McDonald, who, like you, is, is from New Zealand. What do you see in him when we talk about riders of, of global calibre? Uh, well, he's right up there with the best in the world, that's for sure, and he's still very young. Um, so mid-20s, James is, and... Uh, 
Um, there's so many great riders around the world, of course, and longevity is the key, but he's he's doing so much so early. He's got a very um, cool head on him and just loves racing. He loves his breeding. He loves the training of horses and obviously dedicated rider as well. So, um, yeah, how far he'll go, I don't know, but um, he'll certainly be one of the all-time greats. And um, he's a credit to himself. He works very hard. And as we see uh, in each country, we've got pin-up jockeys. He's certainly a pin-up boy here in Australia, which is great for the industry and um, what the young people look up to. Now, when I spoke to James the other day, Chris, he suggested that you might be quite keen on the idea of bringing Very Elegant to to Europe or or somewhere else in the world than than Australia. Is that on the agenda for her now? Yeah, it certainly is. Um, The owners flagged or raised the idea last year, and I wasn't quite as as keen, but I think now is a good time to do it. Uh, The beauty of Very Very Elegant is she's adaptable over all distances. So she's won a Group 1 race over 1,400 metres through to... 3,200 metres now, and she's won it on all conditions. So a very firm surface is no problem, and a very wet surface, she's, she's almost as effective. So uh, to me, that's the right type of horse to travel. Um, she's a very clean-winded horse, so doesn't need a lot of work. She can do her work here in Australia and pick out two or three races over there. The owners have got their heart set on the arc, which is obviously... <laughs> A very very hard race to win. We wouldn't come thinking to or expecting to win an arc, but to be well, look, we watch your racing every Saturday night. Um, we're aware of it all, whether it be England, Ireland, or France. Um, just great racing, and to to be part of it, I think is one thing. And um, if we've got a horse good enough to be winning that many Group One races here in Australia, obviously she's at the level required to be at least competitive. Um, of course respecting what we'll be taking on and try and find a couple of lead-up races. We might be able to get a, uh, a win on the board first would be always a bit easier. So how would you have to schedule that to fit in perfectly with what you've still got to do? So you've got to run in all what I would call the a day races, a day very elegant matchups yeah. that they had in the in the our spring, your autumn. And then uh, do you get a little break into her and then ship her here, what, June, July time, something like that? Yeah, the Australian horses out of our spring all have a break of three to four weeks and then start to rebuild again. She will start racing at mid-February and her last race of the preparation would be a fourth race and I think that would be um, about the 10th of April and then we've got that time to prepare to bring her across and work out whether we come early or late, probably late being a mare. Um, we get a lot of horses from Europe come down to Australia and it's not a, not an easy exercise. And um, obviously the, the trainers, William Haggis in particular, that bring them out to Australia have done a great job in recent years. It's certainly to Sydney, we'll have to be trying to do it in reverse. And as I said, with a mare, when they've got seasonal challenges, um, it won't be easy. So that's all the fine tuning that we'll need to do between now and then. Now, Chris, you've seen this movie before where you've suggested that uh, Australia's leading horse and uh, sort of heroine of the, of the people will come to Europe and race, and it, it never quite came off, and you were bombarded with inquiries and uh, sort of controversy from, from all the media here. Uh, are, you, are, you, are you standing by to put yourself through all that again after, after, after <laughs> the, the wink scenario? Uh, yeah, that was quite unique. 
Winks was a different horse, and um, she, as much as she was loved here and all around the world, she was just idolised here in Australia, and um, she had some big targets, and to win four Cox Plates uh, has never been done before, and as I touched on with Very Elegant, to, to, with, to take the horse to Europe is one thing, then you're expected to bring them home and race at that high level. So you've got to do it in reverse. So you're traveling a horse twice. And it's very hard, especially with mares. And again, with Winks, we didn't want to take that risk. And um, I think we made the right decision. <laughs> but um, yeah, it was an interesting one. There was always, there's always critics in every rate, every sport or every part of life. But uh, I'm pretty proud of the job my team did with her and uh, what an amazing experience it was. Uh, an extraordinary uh, extraordinary mare. Uh, I mean, you, she won 33 races, which is, is almost stretching the bounds of possibility, whatever racing, racing jurisdiction you, you happen to be in. I'd be interested to know, Chris, from your point of view personally, when a folk hero, folk heroine like her, retires, as she inevitably has to at some point, how do you as a trainer refocus, reset, and move on and still be motivated? Yeah, I guess it's a bit easier than a sportsman when they retire, uh, unless they go into a coaching field. But as a trainer, um, there's always so much to look forward to, and I've got a very big team. So it's just one thing into another. And ironically, when Winks retired, I think uh, Very Elegant won the Oaks the same day. And... um, and we've had a few other good horses come along as well. So when there's a good horse, in particular a group one horse in the stable, that's all you need to keep a trainer um, dedicated. And yeah, there was emotional and um, stress sort of related issues that we had to deal with, both Hugh Bowman and myself, but um, it's, we're over that now. And it was an absolute privilege to be part of a, a horse like that. And she's done an amazing job for racing in this part of the world. When you say there were sort of emotional and stress-related issues, is that just because she took you to such high places yeah. and had your adrenaline pumping at, at such yeah. a rate? Yeah, it's hard to hard to explain. It's not like you're a soldier going to war or you've got health challenges. Like, that is stressful. Uh, but in terms of a horse goes, we put ourselves through everything. And um, she took over our life And when she retired. Well, when she was winning races, it wasn't excitement. It was just utter relief. And um, not to let the, the team down, the horse down, uh, because she raced, for, she raced well into her seven-year-old year. And she'd been racing since she was two. So for five years, we went through this. And... Um, I, w- I did a public speaking engagement about a week after um, she retired. I couldn't even talk. And then uh, it slowly got better, slowly got better, and I'm good as God now. But uh, we were just emotionally wrecked. And um, uh, <laughs> I was pleased to see her retire, that's for sure. You you might be getting on the roller coaster again. Have you considered that? <laughs> um, it's a little bit different with Very Elegant. She, as though she's won 10 Group 1 races, she's, she gets beaten like most horses. So, yeah, it's um, um, a completely different ball game, but a privilege to be involved in a mare like Very Elegant. Ten Group 1 races. She won the Oaks as a three-year-old. She's won Group 1s every year, and she's a six-year-old now, still going so well. Do you? I mean, this is an interesting point. Do you think worldwide 
we place too much importance on not being beaten. Does it matter if a horse is is beaten? Uh, it certainly doesn't. It certainly doesn't. But when you're trying to, or not trying, but when you're capturing the imagination um, of uh, new new race goers or new sporting people or general public, they only care about one thing, and that's the horse winning. Um, as race goers, we don't. We we expect a fight, and in fact, it gets boring when the same horse keeps winning. Um, unless they're having challenges um, worthy of, of getting excited. And she used to have one or two each year. Um, but yeah, I think I think from the fact that she was winning and she was on the front page of the newspapers on the Friday and Sunday mornings, <coughs> pre and post race. So she was on all the television shows and it just created a huge following and... Um, yeah, for that reason, I think she needed to keep winning, and especially the last one, the Queen Elizabeth, um, for her third time. Um, yeah, the curtains came down, and she was certainly standing tall. Chris, you, you'll be fully aware of the the, re- the reception here in, in the UK and, and Ireland and France to the, the increased restrictions on horses from this part of the world travelling to take place in some of the big carnival events, particularly the, the, the Melbourne Cup. What's your thinking on that as regards the internationalisation and profile of the race moving forward? Um, it's very important that we don't um, have too many injuries in racing in general. So in modern day, we've got to um, abide by social standards and what the community expects because there's always challenges involved with that. Uh, social media is so powerful and it gathers momentum. So. Um, they needed a change. The changes have been very aggressive and I'm sure they'll be reviewed because there wasn't enough horses came out this year and we need the international horses, not just for the Melbourne Cup. And the Melbourne Cup is probably quite unique. It's a very tough race. It's two miles, it's run on a pretty firm track and it's seeing horses, motor racing terms, running on the red line for a long time. So, look, I think there'll be a lot of... Um, reviews um, taking place now and um, the last thing we want to do is slow the impact or the slow the influx of horses coming across because not just the Melbourne Cup, we need them in Cox Plates, we need them in Queen Elizabeth's um, the new race, the Everest we want international representation here in Australia because it gives us our chance to showcase our sport to the rest of the world so uh, as much as it is a bit easier when they're not here, um, I, as a trainer, need them here. It's it's great for racing. And it, it cuts both ways because there's every chance that if this had taken place 20, 25 years ago, nobody would have thought to, well, ring Chris Waller, let's talk about Very Elegant, a mare that a lot of us are very interested in because the fact that horses from here yeah. have gone to Australia has enhanced her profile because we have context so globally there is there is context to these races whereas there, there might not have been before australian racing is so strong at the moment uh, in terms of prize money and and new races getting put up every every year um there's a bit of rivalry going on with victoria and new south wales and creating pop-up races as they call them um yeah, there's, there's other things. Do, do, do you like them, the pop-up races? Oh, You've won a few of them. There's one at my home track called the Golden Eagle. It's worth $8 million. It's <laughs> put it up above the Melbourne Cup. So 
uh, that's run on Derby Day, and it's 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 the 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 iconic racing people just hate the idea, but the fact is it's generating um, wage ring turnover, and and that is passed on to to participants and and stronger racing. So there's a method to their madness, um, but uh, it'll only be a, be a matter of time, but before the European horses come down for these races. Uh, there's an all-star mile worth about $5 million. Um, there's, you're seeing the golden slipper go up to $5 million. You've got, um, there'd be at least 30 $1 million races in Australia. There could be more. And doesn't look like slowing down. And the, the, the Everest, I think, is $14 million. Is that all? Going uh, yeah, <laughs> it could be more. It could be more. It'll go up. Yeah, it'll be fifteen million in no time. Well, I think everybody watching is going to be extremely grateful that you're considering coming here for a cup of coffee and a bacon roll en route to, en route, route to the art, Chris. Yeah, you can't beat prestige and tradition, and, and we love the English and Irish racing, and obviously we'd see a little bit of the French racing, but um, it's obviously a very high standard at certain times of the year. Uh, Chris, we could talk uh, for so much longer. Really appreciate your time today. Um, I'll, I'll let you crack on because I know you need to, to get a little bit of sleep. But um, thanks so much for chatting to us and we'll, we'll catch up again very soon. And looking forward to seeing Very Elegant here next year, hopefully. Uh, absolute pleasure. We'll try and bring a couple others as well. We've got a really good sprinter called Nature's Trip mm -hmm. and a very exciting cult called Home Affairs. So uh, we might not just bring one, we might make it worthwhile. Well, actually, I, I can't let you go. Nature Strip, he'd be be a better horse than Brazen Bow, yeah? Brazen Bow finished second in the Jubilee. Yeah. Um, yeah, Brazen Bow was an exciting three-year-old and retired at three, so we never saw how good he might have been. But, yeah, Nature Strip, he's... I think he sits on the world rankings right up near the top in terms of sprinters, and um, he's racing very consistently now. I don't think he's been further back and then the first two over the last year, maybe more now. Uh, and he's won the Everest and um, the last two runnings of what we call the TJ. So, um, yeah, he's a very good straight horse as well. And the um, the three-year-old home affairs, he's a rocket. So um, watch out for him. Right, a rocket. Okay. <laughs> we Powerful rocket.